Welcome back to Detroit Strange. The podcast that this is. Yeah. Eh? This eh? one. See what I did there? Yeah. I, fl- I flipped it out and said. You put that thing down, flipped it, and reversed it. Mm-hmm. I sure did. Ah, look at you Speaking go. Speaking of flipping and reversing it, look at that haircut. You got a new do. I do. It's much, much shorter than it was, and I like that for me. Yeah. My hair's been this short in a minute. Really? Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen your hair that short. I wanted to go short and choppy, kind of like a tweaker, but like fashion. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Because I was watching Queer as Folk the other day. I mean, that day me like weeks ago because I pretty much finished a couple weeks ago. Anyway, and there's like this one character who's just like tweaker, just like, ah, crazy. And like he had short, choppy hair, but his wasn't as cute as mine. So, mm. mm-hmm. but inspiration. <laughs> well, I but yeah, like I like literally just got it done. Yeah, my hair was pretty long. I mean, I was liking it long, but I was like, I need to do something different, and mm-hmm. especially like with how hot and humid it's been lately. I'm mm-hmm. appreciating there being a little bit less of it. Yeah, I super need a haircut actually right now, but I don't know. I did cut it like myself a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. My roommate went to cosmetology school, and I'm like. Maybe she'll cut it. Yeah. But also, I don't want to put that pressure on her. That, I make the That makes sense. Yeah. My mom went to cosmetology school, too. Uh, she used to cut my yeah. hair, but no longer. Well, now it'd be kind of a long drive for her. That and, like, I mean, she's offered before recently, but also, I just remember when she would cut it, she'd do what she wanted, not what I wanted. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Moms, am I right? Yeah. But we <laughs> love them. My dad tried to cut my bangs once when I was, like, a child. Like, my mother had left, you know, well, I mean, my mother left me alone with my dad all the time. But yeah. for some reason, on this particular day, he decided it was up to him to cut my bangs. Uh-huh. And so he washed my hair, made sure it was nice and wet, and then right went right in for those bangs. So they dried about a half an inch shorter than he'd cut them. And I had one of those, like, oh, top of no. forehead bangs. Yeah. Uh, my mom yeah. came home and was just like, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> I remember I tried to do my own sideburns when I was like maybe 10. Yeah. I didn't know where to stop because I wouldn't. Why would you ever use a mirror? That would make sense. Especially for something symmetrical. Right. No, I like went like <laughs> three inches up. So there's like a strip of hair missing from the side of my head where my sideburns should have been. We were on vacation at the time, too, so I had to wear a bucket hat the rest of the vacation. <laughs> well, at least you looked like probably about 40% of the other people. Yeah. I probably haven't worn a bucket hat since, too. Not a huge bucket hand, bucket hat fan. That's fair. Hats in general. The only hat I usually wear is a beanie. Yeah, I like, I'll wear winter hats, but I don't tend to wear any kind of summer hat. I don't want more on my head in the summer. I don't even want my hair on my head in the summer, so... Well, there's your haircut solution. Just buzz it back. I wish. I do admire. I do admire people who can buzz their hair. We did it to Maria once. Yeah. We shaved off her dreads. Oh, yeah. That was like recent or semi-recent. It was like right at the beginning of quarantine. like March. I remember that. She wanted to keep them and she put them in like a plastic Meyer bag. And then promptly left him at my house, so I promptly threw that shit away because it smelled like shit. Yeah, I love the look of dreads, but pure dreads, 
you know, the way they're made does not tend to lend to good smells. Yeah. And just like, especially when they're cut off your head and just sitting in a plastic bag getting dank for like yeah. the week she stayed here. And like, what are you going to do with these? She's like, I yeah. don't know. I just want to save them. And I'm like, nothing good can come from this. So then like when she left and they were still here, I'm like, should I save these for her? I'm like, I'm doing the world a favor and just throwing these out. It's fair. Yeah. I mean, really, that's between you and her, so. Yeah. But that's totally fair. Yeah. Well, no, because she's a little shit. I can see her hiding dreads in people's houses. Okay. That'd be an interesting pastime. Yeah. Well, she just is a sneaky little turd like that, which is why we love her. But I knew nothing good could come from them existing still. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Oh, my light went out. Oh, no. Now I'm in the dark. Ooky spooky. My skin does look better in the dark, though. You kind of look like you're in a horror movie now. Like, kind of like, this is like, one of those, like, horror movies where it's like, someone's at a webcam, and it's kind of dark. Oh, and somebody's gonna, like, pop up behind me and murder me? Yeah. Well, I'm glad not to be in that murder movie anymore. I escaped... Uh, same. I I appreciate that for you. Ooh, although I did just order a new horror game, and I'm pretty excited about it. You and these games lately. Yeah. Well, this one doesn't come out until Halloween, so I gotta wait a bit. But it's like one of my favorite horror game companies because they're more like interactive movies than like a traditional game. Like okay. you still move the character around, but it's more like driven by the decisions you make. Mm-hmm. And so, like, and what's interesting is like, so usually there's like five to eight characters that you play throughout the game as and based mm-hmm. on the decisions you make those characters can live or die there's like no set like one thing of like okay this person's always gonna live or this person's always gonna die so it's kind of like they're very open-ended and i like that about them yeah no that makes sense and this one's got salem witch trial vibes which i like that's fun yeah it like takes place in a town called little hope because there's little hope yeah. <laughs> They're not super creative with the title sometimes. That's that's okay. We appreciate them for what they are. Mm-hmm. Oh, there are two things I want to mention. I have a recent Detroit story that's strange that I want to share. And I was Ooh, thinking okay. we could have some sort of like I don't I tried to think of a name and I forgot to actually do that. Suddenly but, strange. Know, suddenly strange. There we go. So I got a suddenly strange for you. Uh, and then I have a stupid thing Jessica did for you. Okay, fun. Let me bring up the suddenly strange. Yes. Are you ready? Are you all ready for this? <laughs> we ain't paying for rights. <laughs> so the headline is, and I'll I'll read the, a little bit of the story, but this is from the Free Press. Detroit Funeral Home discovers woman declared dead is actually, what do you think? A mannequin. Oh, I feel like this is like a match game. I've been watching a lot of match game lately. Oh. <laughs> like, dead no. Deborah's so dead. How dead is she? She's actually blank. I guess it's mannequin. Nope, she's actually alive. Oh, okay. That's not less exciting. There was an alive woman at is a funeral a parlor waiting to be like embalmed, essentially. Here's the story. As it turned out, reports of her untimely death were greatly exaggerated. A 20-year-old Southfield woman who had been pronounced dead early Sunday morning after a heart attack was taken to a Detroit funeral home where staff found she was, in fact, not dead, but still very much alive. 
I like. I have so many questions. Like, was she just unconscious or was she literally like, guys, I'm not dead. Oh my God. It's just gas escaping from this dead body. It's so tragic. Guys. No, really? No. Oh my God. Just put her in the freezer. Well, all I know. So I did, I read another thing where I discovered this, that, uh, basically I think it was like the firefighter EMTs were the ones who arrived on the scene and they tried 30 minutes to resuscitate her to no avail in their knowledge and that's when she was taking the funeral home. And then they were like, oh, wait, she's alive. And then I believe she was taking the hospital. Good for her. I'm glad that uh, she pulled through and was not embalmed. That would have been tragic. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. It's just, that, isn't that nuts, though? Yeah, no, that is. Well, imagine that poor, um, what are those called? Not embalmers. I don't know why ventriloquist came to mind, because that's definitely not it. No. Nope. I don't know. Are you know. talking about, like, the people who work at the funeral home? Yeah. Undertaker? Yeah. We'll go with that. I think there's another word I was thinking of, but Undertaker, I think, fits. It's definitely not a ventriloquist, which is what I was thinking originally. No. no. That would be kind of messed up. Yeah, I don't... Possibly I don't funny, but kind of messed up. see a ventriloquist who works at a funeral home. Just <laughs> like... something very wrong about that. Oh, yeah, no. Like, if it was done as a comedy sketch, maybe, but in real life, that's that's too much. It really yeah. is. <laughs> but how scary would that be? Yeah, no, just to, like, just go into involve this. Oh, my God, she's still alive. Well, and I wonder at what point they figured out she was still alive. Like, at what yeah. part of the process? Like, did they, like, open a body bag and they were like, she's alive. There's... We got to call somebody. Was she on a table? Did they like because I think the the firefighters. Yeah, because they ended up like calling the family. The other story had said and the family had already made arrangements as to where to drop her off. Like that's how far in the process they were that she was at a funeral home because that doesn't always go super quickly, especially for a younger person like a 20 year old because it's not like the family was like planning. Oh, she was like 20. Yes. I missed that part. I was imagining just like elderly person. No, 20. I think it said 20 specifically. I know she was in her 20s. A 20 year old Southfield woman. Damn, that is like fast to have that all planned. Now I'm kind of like, did this family not like her? I don't know. The whole thing is just very, the whole situation is very strange. I like for, and then, I mean, there was a whole transporting of the body in which people still. Yeah. Thought she was deceased. Yeah. Huh. Well, it is definitely suddenly strange. Yeah. <laughs> I like that name. I do too. I like Good it job. better than the the salad. Suddenly salad. Suddenly what? There's a like this. Like, there's like this. Like it's like one of those like rice mix or like pasta salad mixes that you see like in like the boxed rice section of the grocery store. Okay. And it's just called Suddenly Salad. Sometimes you'll see like a TikTok or a Vine before Vine was dead of just like someone like in the grocery store, and the gas and it just zooms in and it's Suddenly Salad. I don't think I've seen that one. I think the only one I know like that is um, Rice Aroni. I mean, love a Rice Aroni. He used to sing the theme song all the time. Do you what remember the theme, theme song? song? You might be young for it. It's Rice Aroni, the San Francisco treat. Bing, bing, rice. Aroni, the flavor can't be wheat beat. One pan no boiling cooking ease, a flavor that is sure to please. Rice, Aroni, 
the San Francisco treat ding ding. And it was like a little streetcar ding ding at the end. Hashtag not sponsored. But Rice <laughs> will take your money. I feel like I had to actually sing that in like some weird thing as a child. And that's the only reason I know it. <laughs> like at some like theater camp or something like that. They were like, you know, it's going to be cute. We're going to have the kids sing the Rice song. That just reminds me, like, do you ever just think random stupid song stuck in your head? Yes. Like yesterday, I was just outside of my hammock, like, ding dong, the witch is dead. Witch old witch, the wicked, like, for no reason. I haven't seen that movie in years. And just, like, out of nowhere, I was just like, ding dong, the witch is dead. You know what it probably fantastic. was? I watched Glow Up season two. <gasps> you know, yes, me too. Dang dong. She overdid <laughs> it this season, but I love it still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she only said it like a few times. and But when she did, it was like a big deal. Well, no, I feel like in season two, she was like every other makeup look, dang, dong. In the really? first couple up, ep- in the first couple episodes, she kind of pulled back a little bit. Okay. It's kind of like the Paul Hollywood handshake. He realized that people loved it. So he started doing it. But then like, it doesn't, it's not as special when you do it all the time. Yeah. You have to earn the dang, dong. I might have just started to blink blank them out even because I don't remember her saying it that That's much. I remember that she was doing like, it too much. Yeah, one specific time she said it. That's all. I did like season two. James was one of my favorites. Oh my god. Fucking you have to tell me something. I can't he was, yeah. Uh, James was the one with like the Wario mustache and the blonde hair. Okay, there we he go. Had, like blonde hair, dark ass mustache, had the twitch. Yeah. Yeah. Liked him. I don't remember his name, but the one with the lips. And you know who exactly who I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. He's the one who even said, I can't get my lips done anymore because they will burst. Yeah. yeah. And then he overdrew them. He had the nerve to overdraw his lips after that. I'm like, girl. That was what he wanted. What are you trying to do here? Well, I mean. I mean, do what makes you happy, but like. Yeah. That's a lot. I mean, it didn't look good, but. <laughs> no, it looked like someone had like taped two Vienna sausages around his mouth. Mm-hmm. And, like, I mean, other than that, he was such a sweet, you know, a sweet boy. And he was definitely, like, um, I I don't want to go too into it because I don't want to spoil it because it is relatively new. Yeah. He, in in the first episode, that's how I'm going to say stuff. In the first episode, you can definitely tell right off the bat that he's, like, the youngin. Yeah, he was 19, I think. Yeah, he's the one who hasn't quite, like, real, I mean... Nobody, I don't think ever, anybody ever fully feels like grown up or, you know, we're always changing. So you're never going to be 100% yeah. who you, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, yeah, you, you yeah. can be oh, 100% totally. who you are, but you're always changing. So it's, that's going to develop from minute to minute. But I feel like he was the one still probably like finding his identity, which most yeah. people are. And yeah, he was just a little baby boo. Yeah, I didn't dislike him. I was just like, those yeah. lips are a journey. Oh, no, they were. And just even thinking about how much time has been spent on them. That's the thing with that kind of stuff that gets me because I'm like, okay, how much time and money have you put into that? God, it must have been like everything in the kitchen sink. I think the mm-hmm. end they were just using rubber cement because they ran out of filler. Do you know that they do that sometimes? Like... Back gallery implant, uh, back gallery, back alley implants, they'll sometimes just inject rubber cement. Mm, and then, like, mm. you have to have it, like, surgically removed. Yeah. A lot of, even not back alley ones, though, there's, um, I forget which one, but one of the injectables you do have to get removed. And it, or if you don't keep getting it, it just creates, like, a hard deposit in your skin you can, like, push around. No, you definitely have to be careful. 
there's like different like levels there's like the ones that I, the ones that i think are the best are the ones that last like six months because that's a decent amount of time be, like the, you have to get it done like twice a year but mm-hmm. like it just slowly fades away because i think it's like saline or something similar to that that just kind of like slowly just kind of like breaks down and decompose like kind of just like safely yeah well botox i mean botox you have to do every six months to 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 keep the effects of it because it does kind of break down yeah well it's a it's a muscle toxin it like paralyzes your muscles and that's yeah eventually they get that back if i could afford it i began some botox i know several people who have i told myself not until 30 i'm well over that so I would not suggest anybody under 30 because I don't I just don't think you need it. And like once you, it's one of those things that once you start, you probably don't want to stop because yeah, you're going to notice it, you know, more. Yeah. But I do know a lot of people or not a lot, but I know several people have had it and are happy. And I used to kind of be anti any kind of stuff like that. But I've come around to the fact that like. I think there is definitely going overboard with stuff. But if it's just something to give you a confidence boost and it's not going to be like a harmful or super invasive procedure, you know, yeah, like if there's no casualties associated with it generally, I guess like that's the way, then I I think it's perfectly fine. I think as long as you're doing it for you. Well, that's what I mean. Like, Like, as long as it's something you want and it's something for you and not like so-and-so wanted me to have bigger boobs or like oh no yeah yeah just stuff like like i definitely think that it can be a really good thing yeah no i think it can be positive for sure i think it can also be kind of like an empowerment i mean like i think again if somebody's doing it with the the right intentions and the right kind of thought process behind it i think it can be a very empowering thing yeah it doesn't have to be i just feel like it's gotten a really bad rap in general and doesn't have to well i mean uh, with shows like do you remember extreme makeover where it was like let's break up your whole fucking face yeah yeah that's too much no that's what i mean like every i mean like anything in life within um moderation yeah that's definitely kind of the key to most things is moderation anytime you go overboard in anything you're creating an imbalance and that's not good no so because life is all about balance it is bitch <laughs> it really is i know i said that very crunchy granola yeah. but it kind of is no it i it believe me i'm over 30 i know mm. <laughs> she's wise <laughs> so wise that's what people say about me all the time they're just like that jessica so wise <laughs> exactly yes in fact, I was so wise this week. You want to know what I did accidentally? Oh, yeah. Let me hear. So I like CBD oil because it does help with like anxi- my anxiety and stuff. So I've been oh, taking yeah. um, like a tincture dropper. And oh. I went to reorder some the other day. And I've been getting this one that's a uh, broad spectrum, which means it's it's CBD, but it's also got some like other components in it, too. But no THC. I've heard of that. I saw that broad spectrum on something. Mm-hmm. and I was like, is this like sunscreen? It's just you're getting more of the chemical compounds, but it, but there's like, they're good. You yeah. know, they, yeah, they're kind of similar, but different. Yeah, um, yeah. Or you can get full spectrum, which includes a tiny bit of THC. Because uh-huh. I guess there's, I don't know, there's like a limit to what CBD products can have or something. I don't, I don't know. I yeah. mean, that stuff. But 
because right before quarantine, I went into a store to actually talk to somebody about it because it is kind of overwhelming. And I was like, I feel like I should try CBD oil because I think it could help with my anxiety. And honestly, I've, I do notice a difference. You have to take it every day. I didn't know that, like to keep it in your system. Otherwise, like, like a one-time dosage is not really going to help much. It's more about like, I've heard about melatonin too. Oh, that stuff knocks me out. I will sleep for five hours like a rock. Exactly five hours. I've been taking some occasionally recently just Mm because I'm like, it's too hot to sleep. Maybe this will help. I did notice that it's expired. So that's kind of fun. I don't think it means, I mean, I'm fine. I'm, I, that's my, it's not New Year's, but it was just my birthday recently. And my like resolution for this year is to stop consuming as many expired things as I do because I've realized it's a lot. Some of them aren't bad though. The melatonin, it might just be less effective. Like, I mean, oh, that's yeah. how that kind of stuff no, goes. That's probably fine. But there's other things where I'm like, Let's risk it when it's like, you don't need to do that. You could just buy a new thing of mustard. You don't have to use that old shit. Yeah, but mustard is, if there's no mold on it, it's fine. Yeah. I use expired stuff. I just, I make sure, A, there's no mold on it. If it's a dairy product, heck no, but I don't really have that many dairy products anyway. Yeah. And if it's meat, but again, I don't really cook meat at home. But yeah, yeah same. I use expired shit all the time. I also don't believe in waste, so... I'm for using expired shit if it's okay. And I think that's the thing is like realizing what things are okay. What things are like, mm-hmm. oh man, I really don't feel good today. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the 12 expired things and like the mayonnaise I ate that was out in the sun. Like, well, I feel like, but, yeah. I feel like I'm making dumb decisions. Then wondering why I don't feel good sometimes. That's fair. So I'm trying to think, end that cycle. Yeah. That's totally fair. Like I said, I have rules when it comes to expired stuff because I don't want to waste stuff. But yeah, I don't want to be sick. Just in general, I think this year I just elevate my standards slightly. I mean, I'm doing that in my personal life. (laughs) Oh, back to my story, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't tell you the stupid thing I did. I mean, I've done plenty of stupid things this week. So they also had a new product and they have like some gummy chews and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, that might be good for like. You know, if I'm having an like an extra high anxiety day, like have an extra yeah. little chewable in the afternoon or something, because I take it in the morning. And they had these ones and they were new. And I was like, oh, let's get the new ones. And they were a little pricey. Honestly, I normally wouldn't spend that much. But I was like, you know, let's see if this works, because like I'm not going to take them all the time. It's just going to be like an extra thing. The oil's like my main thing. Yeah. And yeah, this is just extra thing. Yeah. So I'm like, cool. And I ordered them. And a few days ago, sometime either Saturday or Sunday, I don't remember, around, and mind you, my, uh, my roommate was working at this point in time, but she's usually home by like 8, 8.30 at night. It was like uh-huh. 6 o'clock at night, and I was like, you know what? I'm feeling a little some way, and I just wanted to try them. So I right. popped one in my mouth. About a half hour later, felt a little funny. Definitely thought that they were just CBD. They were not. Oh, that's always a fun surprise. I was high for 12 hours. I was up until 6 a.m., which I could have gone to sleep and I was really tired. But for some reason, I stayed up playing Duolingo super high and like I didn't expect it. So I didn't want it. Right. And I'm sure a normal person could like eat. I just I'm so bad at 
THC. Yeah. Uh, it should not have lasted 12 hours. That's the that's the game with edibles is you're not sure when they're going to get hit, how long they're going to last. And um, they're a journey for sure. But this was a tiny gummy. And the main purpose of this gummy was CBD. It's not even really an edible. It just has a trace of And when I say trace, I forget how much, but it's not. It's not that much. But Aww. still, I was sitting there, like, trying to read the package for a while. And I was just like, what is happening? I mean, I get it. And then my roommate came home. And I didn't want to tell her because for some reason, I'm always like, I don't want people to know when it's happening i'll gladly talk oh, about yeah. it afterwards but i'm like i don't want people to know so i just didn't tell her and then i started watching scrubs i think because you and i had talked about scrubs oh, and it was yeah. on my brain and then i was just like which i know we'll watch it together too because i have no yes, idea what yes. happened in any episode because every episode was about 40 hours long <laughs> yep because <laughs> i could hear i could hear like every fly on the wall in every episode and i was like god this episode is taking forever oh my god that <laughs> joke is taking forever and just and it was stupid. And she had no idea the whole time. And the next day I was like, um, so you could probably tell. But she's like, I had no idea what she had told me. And I was like, I didn't want to tell you so badly. I mean, they're definitely a journey. I remember um, when I was in Amsterdam, I had space cake. That sounds dangerous. That was the night when I was I went back to the hotel because I got too anxious to be at the coffee shop we were at. But that was the night I was like, I understand abstract art, finally. <laughs> and then just like, <laughs> I had like a journal that I had with me just to like, chronologue my like, journey in the Europe. Um, and I yeah. just started drawing. I'm like, abstract art, you just draw what you feel. <laughs> and then I looked at the next day, I'm like, what the fuck, Alex? There's just like all these like, scribbles and shit. Like some of them were okay, but I was just like, girl, why? <laughs> I bought a waffle out of a vending machine too. Well, that sounds delicious. It was, but like my mouth was so dry, I could not fully appreciate Mm -hmm. it and just kind of found half of it like on the floor the next day. I ate a, um, what is it, a pasty at like 11 30 at night because when my parents moved, they had some uh, frozen pasties in their freezer. So they ended up in my freezer and like, and I waited until my roommate went to bed to eat it because I didn't want her to know. She can't know I'm eating the pasty. It was so, everything about it was so stupid. And the next day I was like, damn. (laughs) Well, I love that journey for you. Oh, yeah. I also had a very, like, (laughs) I had a very, (laughs) this might get cut. I had a moment where (laughs) I was just like, I feel so spiritual now. Is this why people get so high all the time? I think it is. <laughs> like, I oh feel closer to, and I wasn't even like, I feel closer to God, but I was like, I feel closer to whatever's next. <laughs> I love that. Uh, can I tell you a story of how I was a diva today since you told your. Yeah. Please do. Uh, <laughs> so I was getting ready to go to my haircut appointment today. Mm-hmm. And. I, for some reason, I've made probably like seven black masks and I lose them constantly. And I really wanted one because it would match my outfit better. Hair. So I was late for my haircut so I could make a new black mask. (laughs) 
So I was just like, this is the most diva thing that I've done. I'm like, I need to make a mask that'll match my outfit and I'm going to be late for it. So I mean, I've gotten pretty quick at making them, but I was also like, this is so extra. I have masks I could wear, but this one will match my outfit better. So that's why I'm taking the time. And you want to feel fabulous sometimes. Especially after a haircut, because mm-hmm. like you just want to look on point. So after you get your hair done, you're just like, this is the best I will look for the next five weeks. Yeah, no. And I think in general, too, I think it's important to do stuff like that, especially right now for yourself. Like, I I don't know why, but I reorganized my jewelry. I'm not even this organized of a human, but I did it the other day. But I also realized I haven't worn jewelry in like six months and I have not a ton but I have some and I like it. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? My new thing is I have to wear jewelry at least three days a week now. Like just to like, even if I'm not going anywhere, just yeah. to kind of engage with it and yeah. um, feel good. There are days where I'll change my earrings multiple times a day to fit my vibe. So there I get you go. it. That's perfect. Yeah. So I think, I think having a mask that you feel matches your clothes or that you feel good in is perfect right now. I think, you know, I, I, I totally support that. And I support being late because of it. It was funny because I was just like in my basement, just in a towel on the floor cutting fabric because the table was <laughs> covered in shit. So I'm just like still wet in a towel cutting fabric and then trying to use my sewing machine. Totally. Fair. So, Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. So I know you said you have four beverages over there. What's the one you made specifically for this episode? Well, I kind of made two and I've been sipping between them because I couldn't choose at the last minute. They're very Oh, she's got options. This is rosé with grapefruit liqueur. Mm. And then Yum. this one is sparkly beverage grapefruit. <laughs> I have an Aperol spritz over here. Oh. Yeah. I love a good Aperol spritz. What a classy cocktail. I know. Jessica F. turned me on to them. Oh. And I made them for my mom the, for the first time like two weekends ago. And she liked them, but she was the only one in my family who did. I've never, well, I mean, they are kind of, um, because they're a little bitter, which not everybody likes that kind of bitter thing. But I've never made one, actually. I've never owned Aperol. I've only had them at bars, but. Yeah, it's one of those like spirits that's like an investment, but like, mm-hmm. eh, it's summer. It's the time. I mean, a little goes a long way though, too. Oh, you, definitely. You're spritzing it. Yeah, it's just a spritz. Yeah. Well, are you ready for a story? I suppose I am. So I've got a person in a place, two nouns. Ooh, he's different. What about a thing? I mean, or the thing, thing is. We can have things. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to do this clue style. Ooh. It was Ludwig Mies van der Rohe in Lafayette Park with buildings. And he's the one who killed Mr. Body. <gasps> we finally figured it out. I did. Now we just have to work on Hoffa. Uh, we'll <laughs> find him someday. There should be a clue board game. <laughs> Instead of trying to find Mr. Body, you're trying to find Hoffa. Uh, that reminds me of a TikTok I saw of Guess Who, but it was like uh, gay Guess Who. So it's like, Guess Who I Slept With. Oh, <laughs> seen, uh, I haven't seen that one, but I've seen one that was like, 
I guess you would drink like an IPA and da 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 da, and they like hit down all the ones, and then they're like Fred or something. I don't know. Oh, I love asking like subjective questions. Like, yeah, do they look like they're a bitch? Like, yeah. Uh, I need to get me a Guess Who board game so I can put it with p- different pictures. I love Guess Who. I used to love it as a kid. I think it'd be fun to update it with pictures of either people I know or yeah. like. I saw someone do it with drag queens once, and that's fun. Yeah. Just something that's not like the original, because the original, the one like yeah. there was like five women, and like it just need to be more diverse. There was like one black guy, five yeah. women. And then just a bunch of white dudes. Well, plus I like the personalization of using like some sort of either community that you like enjoy their content or community of people, you know, I think either of those yeah. things are more fun. Oh, definitely. I think playing guests with next all project. my friends would be one of my dreams, actually. Like, <laughs> yes. like all these people I know on it. Yeah. Uh, that's our next project. We're going to find yes. a guess who game. And pictures of people. Yes, who? Can we call it what? yes, who? <laughs> yes, who? Yes, who? Yes, who? We can't plagiarize, so. We need our own name. We'll just call it this bitch. Uh, did this bitch do this? Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. I think that. Uh, anyway, back to the story at hand. So, have you ever heard of Ludwig Mies van der Rohe? No, but I'm excited. What a name. I know, in case you couldn't tell he's German. He could have been Dutch. I know. I, I honestly thought he was Dutch until I researched, but he's German and he was an it architect. Dutch, but I do believe yeah. that he's Alemán. Yes. So, uh, German architect, and he mostly went by Mies, so I'm not saying Ludwig Mies van der Rohe anymore, so it's just Mies from now on. Mm-hmm. So, he's considered to be one of the pioneers of the modernist architecture movement. He was born in Aachen, Germany on March 27th, 1886. And he was the last director of the Bauhaus, like the German art school. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know a lot about the Bauhaus. Not a lot. Obviously, I would know his name by heart if I knew a lot. But I know some about the Bauhaus. I bought like a book from, I forget what it's called, Taschen? Taschen Books? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I bought a book about nice Bauhaus books. from there that I've wanted to, I like, it's on my shelf. It's actually just like a display book right now. I want to read it eventually, but mm-hmm. it's one of those books I feel like I really got to be in the mood for. I, um, particularly when studying graphic design, Bauhaus comes up a decent amount. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm doing a little side journey about them. So they existed from 1919 to 1933. And it was started with the vision to merge mass production with artistic vision, aesthetics along with function. And so Mize ran the school from 1930 to 1933. Uh, And in 1933, the school closed due to pressure from the Nazis who considered the school to have ties to communism. Sorry, I had to hiccup. How dare you, sir? You cannot hiccup in the middle of a podcast. (laughs) How fucking dare I? (laughs) So rude. Uh, you know what? My diaphragm is fired. Fired. <laughs> <laughs> so after the school closed, he immigrated to the U.S. and became the head of the Armour, the Armour Institute of Technology Architecture School in Chicago, which uh, would later become the Illinois Institute of Technology. Okay. 
Uh, he described his style as skin and bones architecture and strove for minimal framework balanced with unobstructed, free-flowing open spaces. His later designs, like Lafayette Park, usually made use of things like plate glass and industrial steel. His design aesthetics were usually associated with the sayings like less is more and God is in the details. Uh, Some of his noteworthy designs outside the Detroit area are the Detroit Federal, er, the Chicago Federal Center, the Farnsworth House and the Berlin National Gallery. And one other unique thing about him is he made furniture, too. So um, he would design furniture that kind of went with his architecture design. So kind of minimal interesting designs so he would often collaborate with lily reich on the designs and he would usually combine things like leather and chrome so like a fabric and generally chrome Mm -hmm. for the frames and he liked using cantilever designs so like instead of having four legs like you know like the ikea chair where it's just kind of like like this there's only two legs and they kind of just like wrap underneath yeah, you're also reminding me of like every contemporary art museum lobby. Yeah, 100%. Ever. Yeah, very that. I wrote down he was Ikea before Ikea was Ikea. <laughs> before Ikea was an idea? Hey. Uh. <laughs> TLDR, he was a cool architect. Nice. And he actually passed away on my birthday, but in 1969 <laughs> from esophageal cancer. Oh, yikes. So one of the reasons why he was such a big deal in Detroit was because of Lafayette Park. And he was one of the like the main architects for the entire like part of the city knows Lafayette Park, which is we get into detail now how that came to be. So if you don't know where Lafayette Park is, I know you do. But in case any listeners don't, it's in the city's lower east side and it's known for its architecture because it has those big modern skyscraper looking things. I was just about to say, I actually, I don't know where Lafayette Park is. Really? Yeah, I, no, I really have no clue. I mean, I know where Lafayette Road is, so I'm assuming it's near there. It's um just north of downtown, I think. It's like okay. between downtown and Belle Isle. Like, do you know where uh, Elmwood Cemetery okay. is? Okay, yeah. Yeah, no, it's I, like... I kind of, I walked by... <laughs> Yeah, road by that area. Yeah, like the tall, like rectangular skyscrapers that are a lot of glass, but look kind of like sixties. Are they apartment buildings? Are you talking about Lafayette Towers? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lafayette Towers. Yeah. Uh huh. So that's Lafayette Park. Okay. See, I just I never knew that. Well, you know what they say when you assume. I assumed. Then I meant. Um, so it was formerly Black Bottom, the neighborhood we've talked about many times in the show. Mm. And I wrote, so whatever happened to Black Bottom, urban renewal is what happened. Mm-hmm. So after World War II, the FHA was all about slum clearance, as they called it. Mm-hmm. And part of the housing act. Na- they came up in your Burwood, Burwood Wall episode as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it's come up a couple times throughout the show, but that may have been the last time we've talked about it. I know it was in the earlier episodes, too. Mm -hmm. Anyway, part of the Housing Act of 1949, uh, it covered half the demolition costs. And um, unfortunately, this mostly like this act mostly impacted African-American neighborhoods. 
And one of the reasons this area was targeted, apart from being an African-American neighborhood, was that the area was mostly renters and had low property tax revenue. So they kind of were like, if we revamp this area, we can make a shit ton more money. As generally, decisions are made by. Yeah. Unfortunately. But in 1948, the Citizens Redevelopment Corporation was created with the purpose to acquire the land there and to demolish anything on it. By 1967, they had claimed and cleared 78 acres. And this was actually one of the first one of the first uh, urban renewal areas in the country. And unfortunately, it was very successful in its goal of bringing up tax revenue. So mm-hmm. it was kind of became a model almost for and it, like even in like um, spoiler alert, it's on the National Register of Historic Places. Um, <laughs> and one of the reasons that it was listed uh, was because it was one of the first and most successful examples of urban renewal. But didn't we also kind of learn that that doesn't really mean. No, because you can still demolish it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure. Maybe it's just more expensive. It's probably a money thing. It's just like, Oh, you want to demolish that more money? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess too, it just means that like there is going to be some recognition of its existence at some point. Cause realistically, I mean, there's tons of buildings that, probably never have any historical record. Mm -hmm. I picked a wrong time for a long sip. That's okay. I mean, usually I talk a lot more. I, you know, I'm a chatty motherfucker. So, you know, sometimes you herp when you're meant to derp. It's all good. (laughs) So one slightly positive thing is that the, the goal with this area was to make, um, it a mixed income property area. So not just, Making it completely for the well-to-do. So one question. So Lafayette Park is essentially like it's a neighborhood instead of like rather than just like like a single park. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a neighborhood. I think they actually refer to it as a super block. Ooh. Um, Yeah. Ooh, fancy. I don't know. I don't don't fuck with superheroes, but I'll fuck with a super block. I mean, I don't know if you should fuck with them. I mean. Don't tell me how to live my life. (laughs) I'll do what I want. <laughs> um, so there were two phases of development, the first being the Gratiot redevelopment, which was kind of what it was known by for the first part of its life until it was unified all under the name Lafayette Parks. There's a couple sections and they kind of just like melded them all together to stop confusing and call it all Lafayette Park. Originally, Mize was not part of the original team tasked with the area. The first team was Minoru Yamasaki, Victor Gruen, and Oscar Stonerov. And the FHA, the FHA wanted both high-rises and smaller single-family dwellings like houses and townhouses. So the team got to work and created the first plan for the area, which would have involved 20 high-rise towers, a mixture of like squares and rectangles, uh, with several dozen townhouses arranged in a checkerboard pattern of four two-story buildings forming a courtyard. Would that, would that all fit? Yeah, that's what I wondered too. I'm like, where all? But I don't know. Well, I mean, there is a lot of like green space there, so they probably were planning on having a lot less green space. Yeah, but what year? What year is this again? This this is in the fifties. God, the fifties were so weird for development because I feel like that's when all the like weird space homes came up and like the homes oh, of the future yeah. and like we're all gonna live in these weird pods someday. Yeah, kind of um, architecture started happening a lot. If you're pretentious, it's the mid-century modern times. <laughs> you, If you have any pretentious friends out there, 
you've probably heard them say mid-century modern at least once. I know I have. Especially when talking about furniture. Oh, yeah. I love this piece. It's a great mid-century modern coffee table. Like, bitch, it's a coffee table. Mm -hmm. I've dated several people who are like, I love mid-century modern. And I'm like, I mean, I don't dislike it personally, but I'm not. Oh, no, I definitely like it. Yeah, I'm not. But I... But I'm not necessarily, I like, I like minimal to, I like minimal to a minimum. I I can appreciate some of it aesthetically, but I don't want everything to necessarily be. I think it's all about having a mix of things is like, you can't have all Ikea furniture because then your house can look sterile, but you can't have all like antique furniture because then it'll all just look like a thrift store. Yeah. I want a couple key pieces that are antique, everything else to be slim and modern and a fuck ton of plants. That's all I want. Love that. <laughs> so that project obviously didn't happen because there are not 20 high-rise towers there now. Uh, no. and the reason they couldn't get the funding for it. So, Is there two? Is that how many towers ended up happening? Um, there are three. Three? Three that were designed by Mize. What? I had a date at one once. <laughs> Someone I was seeing lived near one of the top of one of them. And it was actually like a pretty decent apartment. Yeah, no, I the part the I I only had the one date and we just got coney dogs from Lafayette. It was a weird uh, <clears throat> a weird date, but I remember walking in and being a surprised by the carpet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was like three quarters of the way up, so his view was really nice. That is the nice thing about them is like, right? They usually like walls were entirely windows, like the the walls that faced the outside. Mm, okay, mm-hmm. the windows were big and nice. Yeah, yeah. Which I was kind of thinking about. I'm kind of surprised they don't do that more often now. I mean, some do, but like, I'm an architecture hoe. I love architecture, but like, I don't know. I don't think windows are big enough in a lot of places as like what they could be. Especially like in an apartment like that too, where you're side by side and you're not going to have side windows. I think you really need some big ass like front windows to like. Oh, yeah. Open the place up. I did have. Actually, everywhere I lived in LA had really nice windows, but the one place had like basically like. It wasn't floor to ceiling, but it was almost floor to ceiling windows in the one apartment. And part of it was like uh, one of the walls went up to the hallway. So there was no windows on like one side of the apartment. And the other one was Uh, into like a weird courtyard. Yeah. I like think that it's called like international styles. I feel kind of like this modernist falls under and like that. One of the things is like courtyards and big windows. Like kind of like keystones of that. Mm -hmm. So so the first team, their plan didn't work out. That's about when Mize came in to take a whack at it. So the year is now 1956, and a man by the name of Herbert Greenwald took on the project. And his condition was that uh, Mize be the principal architect of the project. At the time, he was still working at the school in Chicago. I'm not sure what the name was at this time, but what eventually became the Illinois Institute of Technology. Mm-hmm. But he was taking on side projects, and this is going to become one of them. He ended up tapping two of his colleagues, another Ludwig, of course, Ludwig Hilbersheimer to be the site planner, and Alfred Caldwell to be the landscape architect. And he had originally planned for five 22-story high-rises that were, like, Mm slab-shaped. So, like, rectangular, I guess. Four smaller, but still 22-story high-rises that were more square in shape. Okay. So, of course, plans changed. Um, The first building that actually came to fruition was the Pavilion Apartment, and that's a 22-story structure. Uh, it's the big one closest to 375. Okay. 
Next was the townhouses. Oh, really quick too. Um, yeah. What was Caldwell's first name? Uh, Alfred. Oh, okay. Was he related to the sculpture Caldwell? Calder. Calder was a sculpture oh, guy. Oh my god. Sorry. You're good. Was he related to the bank? <laughs> I don't know. He may have been. Actually, Calder came up at some point in my research, I think. I think that, like, one of these guys named, like, the hanging things he made mobiles. But don't quote me on that because I did not write it down. It might have been a Bauhaus thing, actually, to name Maybe that's what so it that was. Would make, that would make sense is what I'm saying is, like, yeah. coming out of that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so next are the townhouses, and these um, are a bit more hidden in, like, this is kind of one of the reasons why I chose this topic is because, you know, in Lafayette, when you're driving and you get to that part of town and there's like just like these buildings you can kind of see, but they're hidden by trees. And there's like this yeah. weird blocky mm-hmm. low building. That's what those are is like these townhouses. OK. And they're short buildings hidden by the trees, which is by design. Like it was very much designed to kind of like block out the city. So like mm-hmm. the parking lots were like below like level like there's like, i think they're like four feet below level so like you'd still park like not in a structure but like they were it was lower so you couldn't see the cars from inside the townhouses and they mm-hmm. all like they either had common courthouses or courthouses common courtyards or so they were also ranch style houses so it was like townhouses and ranch style houses and okay. the ranch style ones usually had like a private courtyard that was like their backyard but it just had walls I think because I am so interested in architecture that sometimes things will pop up my Google Now feed and there was one that was like, Mize Devanderho like designed ranch style home goes for sale. I was looking at the pictures and like this is gorgeous. Uh, much more money than I can afford though. <laughs> Not that I'm looking to move. Yeah. So the project's going good so far, but then the guy Greenwald, who I talked about earlier, he mm-hmm. died. Yeah. He uh, tragically and suddenly died. He was in a plane at LaGuardia that skidded off the runway. And yeah. Oh, no. Right. Yeah. Tragic. Yeah. But it was a big blow to the project and it ended up taking out about half of my staff. So then that happened. And also the recession of uh, 1958 started happening, which also put a dent in the project. And so Mize would only be involved in two more buildings going up, those being the Lafayette Towers. Those are the ones that are Mm -hmm. two very similar looking that are kind of like right across from each other, like very perpendicular. Mm -hmm. And you can see them like from the DeQuinder cut. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's a parking structure with a pool on top in between them. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Again, just one date. We didn't make it to to pool. (laughs) I got to see the pool, but never go in it. Mm. Yeah. Bummer. Anyway, one fun fact about these towers is that they are basically copied and pasted into Newark, New Jersey, and they're called the Pavilion <laughs> Apartments. What are they? I'm yeah. sorry, what, I was laughing. P- Pavilion Apartments. They took the oh, name okay. of the first building, but they were the design just... of the Lafayette Towers. So if you Google Pavilion Apartments, you can get answers in Detroit or Newark. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it hopefully helped, Detroit. Yeah. Don't fix that. Copy and paste it. <laughs> <laughs> if it ain't broke copy and paste it exactly <laughs> life motto that should be a bumper sticker yes <laughs> so there's they also uh Maya's designed a shopping center because apparently 
like one of the contingencies that the Department of Housing and Urban Development had like mandated that they had to have a shopping center. So they said it was one report said it was L shaped and one report said it was hat shaped, which I don't know what the hell hat shaped means. No, but I'm pretty sure it's that strip mall looking place that's like kind of by Lafayette Towers. I don't think they're associated anymore. I've been there. I've been there twice, actually, during this whole thing, because I got I got carry out from Orchid Thai. Orchid Thai. I don't know. No, it's not Orchid Thai. That's a different one. But I that's got the, one downtown, from yeah. the Thai restaurant that's there because they were open. I don't know. We got carry out. Yeah. And then I was just on a walk and I have a stupid bladder and I needed to pee worse than I've ever had to. No, that's not true. But like I had I had to go had to pee. and I went into the dry cleaner there. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's definitely the, that's definitely what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So that was part of like that complex originally. And I guess there used to be a bank there. Oh. Which was demolished in 2002 despite being part of the historic. Was it a Caldwell Bank? I hope so. <laughs> I think with it's Caldwell, Calder, but I don't even with care. A, <laughs> no, I think you're right. Like Caldwell. It's like Caldwell and I think it's something else too. Maybe I don't know. We're not a banking Cal- podcast. Caldwell and Sons. Yes. No. <laughs> so, like I said, that was the last building that Mize was involved with, but mm-hmm. there were some other... There's obviously a lot more buildings in that area besides those three. Like, there's a lot of other small housing developments around there that are more like townhouse and, like, house type of buildings that mm-hmm. are further east from Lafayette Towers. But the one I want to talk about is... Um, 1300 East Lafayette, and that's the one that has the big 1300 at the top of it. Okay. So I said this is the stepchild of the development, and the site that it was on was originally planned for another Mize high rise, but it went to Gunnar Burkitz, who is a Latvian architect. And unlike the other high rises, um, like I kind of mentioned, we're supposed to be like mixed income, kind of affordable, like reasonable, whatever. Uh, this building is mm-hmm. supposed to be ultra luxury. And it was designed in a slightly different style than the other buildings, which you can kind of see looking at it. And this building kind of gained a reputation as like a status symbol for like the good life. So like if you lived there, you knew you had made it. And like so local celebrities, judges, criminals, etc. all lived there. Diana Ross lived there at one point. Oh, yeah. So it must have been somewhat fancy if Diana Ross found it acceptable. Yeah. And this building also made an appearance, appearance, this building also made an appearance in the 1980 crime novel, City Primeval, High Noon in Detroit by Elmer Leonard. I'd never heard of it either, but it's apparently like a series of crime novels. And this one takes place in Detroit. I guess like one of the pivotal scenes happens in this building. Interesting. Uh, Also, it was supposed to be Twin Towers. There's supposed to be another one like it that was a little bit more simplified kind of behind it. Mm hmm. The second building, like I said, was supposed to be the more simplified version, and it was supposed to be called Navarre Place, and it was planned to be built in 1969, but it was scrapped after the civil disturbances of 1967. They kind of just, like, put the kibosh on development downtown Detroit for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a lot of rebuilding, I'm assuming, going on during that time period, so I'm sure the focus was more yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so just some other parts of the park. Uh, there actually is a park in Lafayette Park. Uh, it's 13 acres that are kind of like kind of in the middle of all the buildings. And it's known as Lafayette Plyacense. 
And there's actually a self-guided tour you can download from Michigan Modern, which I learned is an organization that documented the contributions in Michigan to the modernist architecture because, spoiler, we have a lot. Like, a lot of Southfield buildings are actually, like, excellent example of either mid-century modern international style. That does not shock me at all. Yeah. Just even driving on the freeway and you go over and you see those copper. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, those and, like, the ones, like, across the street from that, or across the street, across, um... What is that? I well, I don't forget what number it is, but yeah. So there's like a lot of like there's a lot of modern architecture, uh, modern architecture, modern architecture in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, in 2015, Lafayette Park was added to the National Register of Historic Places, citing it as quote one of the best and most successful examples of residential urban renewal development in the nation, as well as being the largest collection of Mize Vander. Rose buildings and a great example of superblock urban planning. Cool. So, uh, just to name my sources: mysdetroit.org, Curb Detroit, Detroit Free Press, Afar.com, Michigan Modern, DetroitHistorical.org, HistoricDetroit.org, and Wikipedia. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've always like heard of Lafayette Park. I don't think I ever got the context of whether it was like a park or a neighborhood. So, th- thank you, you know. for educating me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I think it's just interesting that, like, they it's basically this whole, like, part of the city that's designed by one guy, pretty much, and kind of the whole area pretty much is that type of architecture. So I get why it is in the National Historic Register, whatever the letters yeah. are. Well, it, was, um, and it, it sounds like everything there is very deliberate, which is, like, interesting, because, I mean, a lot of times that's not necessarily how sections of cities develop. Right. Because there's right. multiple developments at the same time. So it's interesting to... And I feel, again, like, in the 50s and 60s, that happened more often, where it'd be, like, one person or a small team of people were, like, in charge of a whole, like, we're going to see if this type of community works and stuff. Yeah. And just, like, it is a very distinct type of architecture when you look at it. Mm-hmm. Like, just with, like, like even the way the bottom of the buildings are, where it's, like, all glass around the lobby and just, like, pillars. Mm-hmm. And, like, the big plate windows. Just a very interesting time for architecture. So, I get yeah. it. I like it. Yeah. So. Well, thank you for sharing. Park. No problem. You know how much I love architecture. Yeah, I do. And I love that you love architecture. I don't know why. It's just one of my things. It makes sense, though, too. Like, I think I think in some capacities, you kind of have that engineering type brain and but you also have like an artsy brain. So architecture is literally the intersection of engineering and art. Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Do you feel like you're up to a little game? Of is it Monopoly? Oh, yeah. That's cool, too. I mean, or Parcheesi. <laughs> Could you imagine if we played a whole game of Monopoly on this podcast? I feel like everyone would just like cancel us. I was going to say, I don't think we should do that. <laughs> no, I don't want to listen. to. It that. would be fun for only me. Yes. I mean, we can do it and then just never release that episode if you'd like. I mean, at that point, let's just play Monopoly. We don't need recordings. It's true. So my two truths and a lie this week, I actually actually made several. <laughs> Ooh. Go me. Uh, but the one I'm choosing is because this past Sunday, I got to basically somebody dropped out of uh, the live movie trivia game at Planet Ant Detroit on their oh, channel. I love those. 
Yeah. So on Friday, I was asked if I was available to do one for the movie Clueless. Uh, classic, iconic. And you can still watch that on Planet Ant stuff if you want to. And you should. Yes. Fun. But anyway. And if you want to, we were on one together, actually. The Silence of the Lambs one. That was a lot we of fun. Were, yeah. Yeah. I would love for them to have me back. Wink, wink, and, and nudge, nudge. Whoever's listening that can make that happen. It was a lot of fun. Also, Clueless is one of, I think, the greatest movies. So I was very stoked to randomly have to substitute in for it. I was like, yes. He was like, do you like the movies Clueless? I was like, I do. Um, How old were you when you first saw it? Do you remember? Um, I mean, it came out and I, I wasn't young. I was I was like a preteen, but like just barely a preteen. Or yeah, Did you think the whole thing with her dating her stepbrother was weird? Because I watched it like a couple of years ago. Like I saw it for the first time a couple of years ago. And I was like, am I the only one? Anyone else? Here's, here's the thing, though. It's a stepbrother, but there's no actual relation. Their parents were married for a blip. Both of their parents have had multiple marriages. Because I did have a problem later in life when I was a kid. No, because he was Josh and he was dreaming in a dreamboat. And he has those green eyes and he's gorgeous and beautiful. And who doesn't love Paul Rudd? But yeah. then I got older and I was like, there is some plotline weirdness here. But also, A, uh, this is not one of my things. But like. So it's it's modeled after Jane Austen's Emma. Right. Oh, that should have been one of my things. So it is actually the archetype for it and the actual storyline for it is Jane. It's modeled after Jane Austen's Emma, which if you've ever interesting, it's not the same exact, but it's actually like a really it's a really good adaptation of. I do love when they do that successfully, like she's the man is like the 13th night from Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's modeled after that. And they had to set it up in a way of modern, you know, modern context and things like that. And if you really pay attention to it, it's been five years since their parents were married. Yeah. Like they got divorced five years ago. And also it was never either of their original family. Yeah. And also who knows how long their parents were actually married for. I did start writing a sketch though, where the parents did get back together and they hadn't told their parents and then it got weird. <laughs> Well, that would be weird, except for that the dad knows the whole time what's happening. So, oh yeah, no, I'm gonna no. call bullshit on it because <laughs> he knows. Fair. He pays attention. He keeps making weird faces throughout the whole movie about like, yeah, I know. Um, so my answer is yes, no. Okay. Like I have thought it was weird before too, and maybe I've just justified it because I love this movie and I don't want to dislike this movie ever. Oh, no, I'm not saying you should dislike it. Yeah. I'm just like, uh, that was the first thing that stuck out to me when I first watched it. But I was also yeah. like, well, into my 20s, I feel like. Yeah. But I think they do a good job. Oh, no, definitely. Of creating the story structure around it so that it's, it sounds weird, but it's not her stepbrother. Yeah. It's her ex-stepbrother. Yeah. They literally have no familial relationship. Very telephonovella of them. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And his mom is already on to husband number four. Yeah. It's in the movie. And dad is so wrapped up in his work. He, he, he doesn't know, nor does he care. No. So here is fact number one. Ooh, okay. So the movie is directed by Amy Hockerling, who also directed Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Can't Hardly Wait. Okay. Uh, number two. It was originally pitched as a TV series called No Worries and was um, conceived with producer Twink Kaplan, who plays Miss Geis. 
But Fox okay. no one would care about a show with so many girls. Damn. Fact number three. Share speech. And I'm going to recite it right now. So, okay. Like right now, for example, the Hadians need to come to America. But some people are all, what about the strain on our resources? But it's like when I had this garden party for my father's birthday, right? I said RSVP because it was a sit down dinner. So in that speech, the mispronunciation of the word Haitians as Hadians was all Alicia Silverstone, but creator Amy Heckerling thought it fit the character, so they kept it. Love that. Um, I'm going to go with number one's the lie. Ding, ding, ding. You are correct, sir. Yes. She did also direct Fast Times at Ridgemont High. She did not direct Can't Hardly Wait, but she did direct Loser. Jason Biggs. I don't know if I've heard of that one. Um, it's Jason B- Biggs and what's I'm totally forgetting the girl's name in it. But it's basically all kind of part of like some high school trilogy, essentially. Um, like ones from the 80s, ones from the 90s, and ones from like the early 2000s. Okay. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. So I do have a few more fun facts and actually additions to these ones. So it was originally pitched, like I said, uh, as a TV series, but it was also so after. um, It was a TV series for a minute, right? It was after the movie, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So after Fox didn't take it, uh, Heckerling reshaped it into a movie originally calling it. I was a teenage teenager. And then it switched to Clueless in California. And then to Clueless. Yeah. I like that the best. Yeah. So Paul Rudd actually is seen throughout the movie wearing a KU baseball cap. And reason for it is that's his alma mater. University of Kansas. They let him throw a little Paul Rudd into that movie. Fun. Yeah. Other thing about Paul Rudd is he actually auditioned originally to play Christian. Who's like the new guy in town who share has the hots for and then he turns out to be gay. And he's like really good friends and stuff or murray who is played by donald Faison. uh that's fun yeah but he actually he really wanted to play christian because he thought it was really cool that a hollywood script having such a like cool gay kid character yeah he was very intrigued by that because I, I think at that time like not that it was like never done but it just it, it was more unique and he wanted he he supported that he thought it was really cool it wasn't like a tragedy story or like a joke. No, exactly. Yeah. No, it was a very positive character. I mean, like there was a, I guess there's like a bit of humor in like Miss Claire's like Claire. There's a bit of humor in like Cher's misreading of the situation, but also she's so okay with it when she figures it out. I yeah. think it brings it around where it's like not this like huge drama or this huge like stupid moment. She's like, oh yeah, it does make sense because they foreshadow it so much oh yeah and i i don't know it is cool and then she's like fine with it she's like oh okay it all makes sense now and it's great i feel like recently i developed a sixth sense for predicting when something gay is about to happen in a tv show or something so i forget what i was watching recently but like i was just like two minutes before it actually happened I'm like something gay is about to happen <laughs> and it did there usually is like a lot of foreshadowing, I feel like, which I don't think is always necessary. I mean, like sometimes no. you want to foreshadow a character, but sometimes just let a character be a character. 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah. A couple more things about it. So the house that Cher lives in is actually located. So they actually have a real address, but it's not for the house that was filmed. And But the house that it was actually filmed at is located in the valley, which they kind of shit on. make fun of in the movie. But yeah, shit on a little bit. Heckerling actually audited classes at Beverly Hills High School to get the movie right. Fun. Uh, the high school in the movie is actually named after Louisa May Alcott's father. Oh, so nice. she's the writer of Little Women. Yeah. Heckerling made up a lot of the words used in Clueless, including Baldwin and Betty. Fun. Which is why there was actually a guide. I, I didn't write this down, but I think it's called like How to Be Totally Clueless that was released alongside the release of the movie as like uh. an extra marketing tool. And Love a that. lot of people reading the script, even like the actors didn't know half of what they were saying because it was all these made up words, but it also fit. I feel like Simon Diablo Cody was with Juno. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Donald Faison actually ad-libbed the phrase keeping it real when he gets his head shaved at a party. <laughs> his girlfriend finds him. He's like, I'm keeping it real. I'm keeping it real. I'm keeping it real. Like he says it a million times, which is actually one of the word or the questions I got wrong on the uh, show uh it was a tight race the role of Cher was actually originally supposed to go to sarah michelle geller but scheduling conflicts with all of my children forced her to turn down the role uh reese witherspoon was also up for the role at one point but ultimately it went to alicia silverstone thanks to her appearance in aerosmith music videos including the crying video oh i did not know she was in aerosmith videos oh yeah she's linking three of them that was her first like major thing there was also there was a movie she was in before that too but i think uh the creator clue amy Hawkerling noted remembered her from the aerosmith videos and said basically like i want the blind girl from the aerosmith videos that's like how courtney cox was in dancing in the dark by bruce springsteen oh i didn't know that yeah i think she's doing the carlton in it okay interesting yeah, no, Alicia Silverstone had been in a movie, I think, called, like, The Crush or something like that, where it's it's kind of a creepy movie because it's about, like, a younger female who has a crush on, like, some 20-something-year-old guy and becomes kind of stalkery. It's unsettling. Like, it's Fair. done well. It's just a very yeah. unsettling oh, totally. plot line. Uh, but then, yeah, she was in at least one, but I think up to three Aerosmith videos within succession. Like, her and Liv Tyler were in the same kind of... Uh, era of being in Aerosmith videos. Yeah. Which, I mean, Liv Tyler makes sense because, hey, dad. She Liv Tyler. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't being, this is kind of cool though, actually. The um, the studio did not pressure her to get a known name. Oh, nice. I like yeah. that. And then the last thing, Wallace Shawn, who played Mr. Hall, actually a teacher before he became an actor, which I didn't know that. Because he was that also for him. in The Princess Bride, which succeeded clueless by many years i it's been so long since i've seen that movie i think i've really only seen it once i need to watch it I again love princess bride so much also recently there's a video where like i don't know like 50 celebrities each do like one line from the princess bride it's like a five minute video it's not every line that's the whole movie yeah but it's so funny to see because it's these celebrities like on their own phone camera but i i anybody who likes princess bride I encourage you to watch it. There's also a fantastic scene where uh, Prince Wesley and Buttercup um, rolled down a hill and whoever shot that scene, they just threw some like fake dummies down their staircase in their home. And I 
love whoever did that, but you don't know what celebrity did that. Because every other video is like the celebrity as a character and they say the line and they're dressed sort of like that character and they're like, yeah, they're like, I don't know. Um, here's Paul Rudd <laughs> and he says the line. And that, but that one, they have no name or anything because nobody's on camera. It's just them throwing crap down the stairs. And I was just like, whoever did that, I love them. I want to know who shot that scene. Did you see Nicole Byer? And I forget who her roommate is. They dressed up as Sharon. Yeah. Uh, John Mills, uh, her roommate. Yes, yes. John Millheiser, John Millheiser, her roommate. Her roommate. John, yeah. 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 No, that was really fun. And she didn't even know it was the 25th anniversary of Clueless this year. She just did that for fun and then found out it was the 25th anniversary. That's why I love Nicole Byer. She also leased that Jeep for that video and now has like a few year lease on that Jeep, I'm pretty sure. Oh, I, I think the comment was like, this is the most expensive, like, yeah, for the bit I've ever done. <laughs> Which I love that. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I have to watch both those movies now. There's actually two the MTV Movie Awards at one point had um, three of the Golden Girls do a Clueless spoof. Oh, my God. It's so good. Estelle Getty plays uh, Cher and uh, Betty White plays Dion. And then uh, Rue McClanahan plays Ty. But they kind of like wrap everything up together. It's like a five. Yeah, but it's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. So good job. You won. Yay! Yeah, and I think that pretty much wraps us. Wraps us. <laughs> yeah, we tried to do it in time together. We tried. Either way, if you want to follow us on our social medias, you can follow us at Detroit Strange on Instagram and Twitter, Detroit Strange on Facebook. If you want to send us an email, Detroit Strange at Gmail dot com. Mm-hmm. And also, as always, we encourage you to subscribe, rate, review. That would be fantastic and lovely. Uh, Thank you all for coming. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Yeah. We love you. And until and next time. Until next time. Stay, stay strange. This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Our theme song was created by Detroit duo Sax and Violence. Mm-hmm.